Um, before you naturally turn to Proverbs, I want to I redirect you back to Hebrews chapter 12 to set the table for our discussion today. Uh, we are in a study of the book of Proverbs. If you're new or you haven't been here for a while and uh, we're in the section uh, that necessitates us studying it from a topical standpoint. So we're talking about parenting and training of children and uh, we have little ones in our midst here. And uh, we have uh, college students in the back row there. Uh, many of you are grandparents. Some of you are great-grandparents. So th- there, there are connections to children in this room that are multifaceted. So if, if you're a, a parent, the most, I don't know, straightforward application is, this is what God calls us to do as parents, and so we can gain from this. If you're a grandparent, everything we're going to talk about today applies to grandparenting and great-grandparenting. Uh, if you're a young person... Um, th- this is kind of like getting to see the playbook. Um, this is not just what God calls parents to do. It, it really is more a paradigm for what God's will for your life looks like. So if you're a high school student, high, uh, a college student, uh, what we're going to talk about today is God's will for your life as is mandated to your parents to be helping you to discover those things. But Hebrews chapter 12 is really important that we see this. Um, uh, Let's just start at at, uh, the beginning here, chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, The writer to Hebrews is getting ready to close his letter. He's in the sort of the the latter half of his instruction here to uh, these Jewish believers. Um, Actually, a mixed audience, uh, some genuine Christians, some who just had professed faith but were not really Christians. And uh, listen to what he says, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and that verse, of course, looks backward to chapter 11, where he talks about all of these examples of Old Testament believers and their uh, encouragement to us to walk in faith. So we have that, that legacy of, of people who came ahead of us. He says, in light of that, he says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's God's will for your life in a nutshell. If you want it in a couple of verses, what is God looking for? To lay aside everything that hinders us, in our walk with God, getting rid of, of sin and things that entangle us, things that tempt us, he says. And, and here's the goal, to run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's the Christian life. That's being faithful in your walk with God, whether you are a young person, whether you are an old person, with whatever responsibilities God has given you. How do you run the race with endurance? Well, he tells us, he says, you fix your eyes on Jesus. You walk with him, you trust him each day. And um, you remember that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Verse 3, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So on those days that walking with God is hard because of the difficulties of life, we look again to our Savior, the text tells us, who endured through much suffering. And as we think about Christ and what he endured and the fact that he's with us, we say, hey, there's hope for my situation. Because what I'm enduring is not nearly as intense as what Christ endured. And if he, and if he is at my right hand and he's going to walk with me through this, I'm going to be okay. Now, in light of that, he shifts and he says this, You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin, which Jesus did. 
and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as fathers. Now, now watch him transition from the Christian life as walking with Christ, keep your eyes on him, remove every encumbrance, endure in the race, even if things get hard, keep your eyes on him, walk with him. Now, now watch how this works. And don't forget this exhortation. Verse uh, 5, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now that should sound very familiar to you. Why is that familiar? It's in Proverbs. Thank you. Yes, this is from Proverbs. So he's looking backward to Proverbs saying, remember we talked about this? Now watch the connection. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. Now, of course, you remember that word discipline has many senses. And we said that the word discipline, as we see it in Proverbs, is actually the word for what? Training. Training. And that actually makes this verse a little bit easier to understand. It is for the purpose of training that God calls you to endure. Why would God not make our Christian lives smooth and pain-free and worry-free? Like, I have Jesus. Why is my life so hard? Because we're not... We're not trained yet. We're not all that God wants us to be yet. In Christ, in terms of our position before God, absolutely. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ, accepted before the Father, it's done. But in terms of our actual walk with God, I'm looking at myself, there's a lot of work to do yet, isn't there? And so God uses these challenges to endure in life through hardship largely in order to train us. Now now notice how this works. It's not training like a coach, although that's a good metaphor. It says it is for discipline or training that you endure. God deals with us as what kind of people? As sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline or does not train? But if you are without training of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So what's he saying there? It's good that there are some hard things in your life that God is using to train you because that legitimizes your Christianity. It legitimizes your adoption into the family of God. Verse 9, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much... Uh, rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live. For they, talking about the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. Now he just pulled the curtain back and said, see, this is what we're doing. Okay, we've got to get this because we're going to go with Proverbs and this, this is going to feel like you know, a parenting 101 class, and I don't want it to feel like that. Uh, what Hebrews is saying is the goal of all of this is God training people to be like Him in terms of His holiness. That's what we as earthly parents are trying to do for our children. We're trying to train them up to maturity, to godliness, to righteousness, and, and, and here's, here's the mirror. It's, it's a picture, right? 
earthly parenting is just a mirror or a reflection or picture of what the, our Heavenly Father is doing for us. He's training us through these methods, through these means, through hardship, so that we may share in His holiness. Now, um, show of hands. How many of you are content with your current level of practical holiness? Just raise your hand. Okay, well, good. I have good news for you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's called increasing your holiness. It's called training you into practical righteousness. And you know how he does it? Through training. Through discipline. Through, what does it say? Through endurance. Through hardship. Okay? Which is why when we, when we talk a minute ago about how to do parent discipline, you're going to say, man, this is pretty negative. This is bringing some difficulty. You know, Johnny's backside is probably going to be a little sore after that exercise. Is that right? I mean, I mean t- totally honestly asking the question, is that right? And if we've understood the writing, writer of Hebrews, we say, yes, it's right, because that is a reflection of some of the hardship and pain and difficulty that God uses in our life in order to train us. Do you see that? So, so mom and dad, this is good because we're being like our Heavenly Father who disciplines us. And young person, this is important. I, I want you to totally get this, okay? God's plan for your life is to make you more like Him. And He doesn't do that through vacations and easy living and smooth sailing in life. He does it through the difficulty of your life. He does it through hardship. Now, now here's, now I'm going to talk to the, to the college students and high school students for a minute, but we old people need this too. Because here, here's what we all do, guys, okay? So I'm talking to the high school students, college students, junior hires. What most of us do is we resist and try to get away from and avoid all the things that God is trying to use in our life to make us like Him. Now, old people, do we do this too? We don't like hardship. We don't like suffering. We don't like difficulty, and we try to avoid those things, okay? Now, the proverb says, the fool sees evil and hides himself, okay? So I'm not saying, hey, there's some, look at the hardship over there. Let's go, guys. I mean, that's, that's not, that's crazy. But when hardship comes into your life, providentially, the Bible is saying, don't try to run away from the hardship that God is using in your life to train you and to grow you. What most of us do, and, and young people, that's why I want, I, want to, I want to point this out because we old people are still trying to learn this, but seriously, do not resist the things God uses to make you more like himself. Don't, don't fight against the plan of God for your holiness. See it and embrace it. So, so let, me, let me say it like this so you remember it, okay? At any moment of life, you can be a part of, You can be a part of what God wants to do in your life or you can resist what God is trying to do in your life. There's two choices. And and we old people are still trying to do that. Old people, we're still trying to learn these things, aren't we? We we should know better, but sometimes hardship comes and my first reaction is, oh no, why is this happening? And I forget, oh, it's God's training plan for my growth. Okay, that's what it says here. 
Now, now here's, now, now let me legitimize biblically what I've just said. Look at the last verse, if you're still in Hebrews 12, verse 11. All training, all discipline that God uses, especially through hardship, all of that in the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Amen? Parent, or, uh, uh, children, when you're being disciplined by your parents, are you going, yeah, mom and dad, I'm having a great time. Take all of my electronics away, not just my phone. Right? Is that what you say? No. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been, here's the word again, trained by it, what does it do? It does. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So I ask you again, are you content with your current level of holiness and practical righteousness? And if the answer is no, I've got some things I need to work on, I have good news for you. God has a training plan. And his training plan, as we've seen it here, is the template of what we're going to try to do in a horizontal level in earthly parenting. Okay? So so parents, grandparents, we are just God's human agents to start a process in the life of our children and grandchildren that God will complete as they trust Christ through his heavenly fatherly ways. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, that was introduction. Turn with me back to Proverbs. And now let's pick, pick this up where we left off last time. Okay, we talked about training children. And you have some review notes there. Those are the ones with the blanks filled in. And then when the point size gets a little bit bigger, uh, that's where we're going to resume, okay? We're going to get very, very practical. We're going to talk about how to do discipline today. We're going to talk about how to apply all this in uh, very, very practical ways. But let's review. What is the goal in parenting or grandparenting? From the parent's standpoint, the goal is faithfulness. The goal is faithfulness. Now, that does two things. That goal is an admission that we cannot produce godly children. Are we all good on that? We we cannot manufacture godly children. For one, we aren't that good as parents. But secondly, and most importantly, We cannot give our children the one thing that they need the most. Which is reconciliation with their creator. We can't do that. We can't give it to them for Christmas. We can't produce it through a good parenting method. That's only something that Jesus can provide for them. Now the good news is Jesus provides that for them as his wonderful gift of his grace. Right? It's free. But we can't make them trust Christ, can we? We can't make them buy into what the Bible says is true to reality. We can't do that. So what is our goal? If we can't, if we can't do what we all want, what is our goal? Our goal is to be faithful to do what God tells us to do as parents that are the means that God usually uses to bring Children to faith in Jesus. So the goal is faithfulness. At the end of time, when we stand before Christ at the 
judgment seat of believers, the question will not be, did all your children trust Jesus? The question will be, were you faithful? So we need to remember that. And there are a lot of parents walking around with a lot of guilt today because they think, you know what? My child is not walking with Jesus today. And they feel like a failure as a parent. And according to the Bible, that's not necessarily true. Our success or failure as parents depend on our grace-enabled faithfulness in training our children, not the ultimate product of how they turn out. And that, is that just hard, parents, mom and dad? Is that just really hard to admit? Very difficult to admit. Now, from the child's standpoint, what are we actually looking for? Faithfulness is the parent's role and what we're praying God will do as we are faithful is that the child will learn and walk in the fear of the Lord to love him and trust him with a whole heart and following his word and obedience. Okay, so if you're a young person, actually, this is not just, this is like everybody. Um, that's the goal, to walk with your God, to love him with whole heart, to trust him completely, to walk in his ways. Now, there's three types of discipleship, if I can say it like that. Um, these are the three modes or methods that the Bible prescribes. Talking about being a faithful parent, right? Being a faithful parent, what does that mean? Well, there's there's three sort of means. There's um, if, uh, if I was the parenting quarterback and I look at the play, there's only three plays. And it's exemplary discipleship, formative discipleship, and corrective discipleship. Those are the three plays. So it's a three-play Offensive plan in parenting, if you want to think about it like that. Exemplary parenting or exemplary discipleship simply means that as a, um, <clears throat> that as a parent, uh, I am seeking to be an example to my kids. That's Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. I'm, I'm seeking to have the, the words of God on my heart first in my own walk, in my own life. Formative discipleship has two forms. And this is the, the intentional instruction part of what we're trying to do as parents. In the everyday moments of life, that's Deuteronomy 6, 7, that you talk about the things of God when you sit down, when you rise up, and when you go out, when you come in. It's, it's basically, it's connecting your child's life to the Bible through every connection you know how to make. It's teaching your children a biblical worldview. Here's how I think about this as a parent. There's all this stuff out there called life. And in our fallenness, in our sin, we interpret that stuff going on in the wrong way. I think, oh, look at that. That, if I just had that, that will make me happy. But it's an illusion, isn't it? So this first part of parenting says, I have to help my child to view the world through a biblical lens, which means it's like, a, it's like the parenting construction set. As my kid grows, I'm building a set of interpretive glasses that I want that child to start looking at life through. Uh, I want our kids to see the deception of so much of the world, so much of the corruption of people and relationships and entertainment and and to see that the most important things of life are not found out there but are found in here. 
in the wisdom of God's word. The second way that I do this formative discipleship is through regular, formal, intentional teaching. And uh, you could call it family worship. You can call it Bible study time. You can call it Bible story time. You can call it morning devotions. Whatever you want to call it, uh, there needs to be a formative time that we are intentionally teaching Scripture to our children. I know what you're thinking. Isn't that the church's job? Uh, No, no. It's our job as parents. The church is merely supplemental, which is the last point there. The church comes alongside and helps us in that, but mom and dad have full responsibility. Now, the third way we do discipleship is what we're calling corrective discipleship, and this is this is where we uh, we pick it up from the notes, um, and this is what we really want to hone in on and talk about today. Corrective discipleship is is that that disciplinary aspect of parenting, uh, and this is a little bit of review, but we're going to go through it one by one as we get into the procedure here. Discipline is corrective and restorative, just not punitive. Now, how do we know that? Because we just read Hebrews. And that's exactly what Hebrews said. Hebrews does not say, when you step out of line with God, lightning bolt from heaven, and he's going he's to show you who's boss. That's not what it says. It says, whom the Lord loves, he trains. He disciplines, he corrects. Well, why would he do that? Well, you did the crime, you do the time. God's boss. No, that's not. It says... He disciplines us so that we might share in his holiness. All discipline in the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. And yet those who have been trained by it afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, so here that, here it is applied in, you know, human parenting. Discipline is not just corrective. And restorative, or it's corrective and restorative, not just punitive. It's designed to train. So mom and dad remember that. Grandparents remember that, that when we're intervening, we're not just saying you broke the rule and here's the consequence. It's you broke the rule, here's the consequence. How am I trying to get that child to Jesus? How am I trying to use this to get them to a place where they are seeing their need for a savior? And they want to honor him. Uh, secondly, the goal of discipline is to bring the child back into the circle of blessing. Do you remember that from last time? And uh, I'll just give you a, a warning. David Gibson and I have, have ganged up on everybody today. We're both talking about parenting today. Uh, not intentionally, but that's what he'll be doing in the uh, Sunday message. And it's interesting because we're looking at a lot of the same texts. And David's going to talk about Ephesians 6. So I won't do a whole lot on this, but Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, says that when when children obey and honor, it goes well, and they enjoy long life. Remember that? And uh, so what happens when children don't honor and don't obey? Well, they, they sort of step outside of this boundary, the boundary of it goes well and long life. The child's out here, he's dishonoring his parents, he's disobeying his parents, and corrective discipleship is a rescue operation. You know, he, he's, he's outside the buoys of God's blessing, and we want to get him back inside 
to where he will enjoy the blessings of God as he honors and obeys. So, so corrective discipleship, or we, we might just call it discipline in the home, is designed to move the child from being in a place of spiritual danger outside of the blessing of God to get him back to a place where he's honoring and obeying, and thus God says it will go well with him. Uh, that's, uh, if you've read Shepherding a Child's Heart, that's where I first learned how to think about that verse in that way. Um, great book on parenting if you haven't read it number three discipline should target the heart not just deal with behavior um why do your why do children do and say the things that they do yeah they're born into it we all come into the world sinful okay kenneth can you close that back door for me? It gets hot in here because the halls are not conditioned like the room is. So if you're a little warm, we keep the doors closed and that should help us. Um, yeah, so they come into the world sinful. We all do. And that behavior and those words come out of who we are by nature. That's why the, the proverb that's listed there, Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Everything in your life flows out of your heart, meaning the, the spiritual part of you. So when you are disciplining your children, how should that work? Take that doctrine and now apply it to discipline. Where's our ex- we, so we, have, we have lots of experienced parents in here, so, so jump in. Give us an example of how that might work. Don't everybody jump out at once here. Uh, Knowing that a child's behavior flows out of his heart, how do we take that and apply that to discipline, to training? How how do we utilize that when we're training our kids? Focus on the heart, not behavior? Yeah, Nick? Okay. Um, to let him see how broken my heart was over what he was doing, like uh, he was more corrective okay. than any kind of punitive thing that mm-hmm. I've ever done. Okay, that's good. Because he knew that I loved him and I cared about him. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's a good thought that that our children need to see that their sin hurts other people, not just themselves, especially mom and dad. And to be, rather than mom and dad being angry about it, to let mom and dad communicate that, hey, this was hurtful or sad to me in some way. Yeah, it's, you're, you're demonstrating what it does to your heart. So that's, yeah. Right, right, that's good. That's good, yeah. Well, let me ask a question. Let me ask the question a different way. Do you want well-behaved children? Or do you want children whose hearts are being transformed to walk with God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I appreciate that because if you target the first, you might get it. But the second is what really matters, right? If you target the second, you'll get both. Because behavior flows out of the heart. So... Mm-hmm. 
that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's actually there's actually a proverb that helps with that because you're right. If we just go into sort of you know Bible lecture mode, often that's ineffective. Um, there's a proverb. I think it's I think it's 25. Um, a plan in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. And that's what Joe is getting at is you got this deeply embedded heart issue, and you're trying to draw it out without using means that are going to be unhelpful or turn up. I think, I think one of the ways, and, and actually the Proverbs models how to do that, I think really well. We can learn a lot from Proverbs. Solomon uses questions a lot, doesn't he? And sometimes asking a question is better than making a statement or giving a lecture. So, yeah, did you want to add something, Grant? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Right. Yeah, that's very, very wise because they're not going to take anything we say seriously if they see this gross hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah, that goes back to discipleship number one, exemplary discipleship. It's just being a good example in front of them, so. Yeah, so I think those are some, some ways that we do that, but we want to get to the heart, not just deal with the behavior. And, and, and this, I remember someone uh, hear, hearing this for the first time, and it's like, you know, if, if, uh, uh, if one child has a metal Tonka truck in their hand and is beating their younger sibling over the head with it, that's not the, you know, as, as blood is, is, you know... You're going, oh, let's deal with the heart, right? Well, you know, we're not just going to deal with the behavior. We're going to deal with the heart. No, no, you do deal with the behavior right then. I mean, you definitely take the truck, stop the beating, right? And then, you know, get to the heart. So we're not saying you don't ever deal with behavior. Um, don't want to be misunderstood in that way. But um, yes, we've got to deal with the heart as well. Uh, the manner and means must be biblical. I appreciate what Nick said about anger because uh, there's... This one verse in the Bible, Ephesians 6, 4, there's a parallel in Colossians, but it's really the only verse in the whole Bible about parenting. And it tells parents, you know, there's one thing you should do and there's one thing you shouldn't do. And the one thing that God tells parents that they shouldn't do is be angry in the sense of provoking anger toward their children. Actually, it doesn't say don't be angry. It says don't provoke your children to anger, which we often do through our own anger. And then, of course, uh, our attitude and our heart of us, parents, must be right before God. So, um, and then there are these these warnings that we see that God uses. We looked at some of those last time. Um, notice, first of all, look at all of the ways that God demonstrates how correction should happen. Let's just look at a few of these. We, we sort of waved our hands at these last time. I want to make sure that we, we've not forgotten them as we move into this. God does not have a, a... He does not have one tool in His corrective training toolbox. And sometimes as parents, 
we only have, or at least we only use one tool in our parenting toolbox. And God demonstrates that we need to have a diversity of tools in our parenting. Uh, We've seen some of these already in Proverbs. Verbal correction, how to think, not just how to behave. But correction starts verbally. Logical consequences. The prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. Did the father run after him and sort of helicopter parent him? You know, there he is running off and there's dad running behind him. You shouldn't do that. No, you shouldn't. No, he let him go. Probably one of the hardest things a parent has ever had to do is a parent lets their child go walking in their waywardness trusting that God uses negative consequences of sinful behavior to lead people to himself. And that's what happens in the prodigal son story. He's sitting in the, in the pigsty. He's starving to death. He's blown all of his money. He's looking at the pigs that are eating these little pods, which are nasty. And he's, the Bible says he's longing to eat some of the pig food. And then the words that that every parent prays, uh, then he came to his senses. And he thought about his father. And he said, I will go to my father. And he, he demo- in the turning of his behavior, he's demonstrating what theological doctrine? What's the theological word for spiritually turning? Repentance. Yeah, repentance. Uh, fruit of sin, Proverbs 5.22 talks about uh, being, um, uh, actually the word is actually entangled in your sin. It's, it's, for example, um, if uh, let's say somebody commits adultery in a marriage, or let's say they go and they spend a whole bunch of money without their spouse knowing about it, and one of the fruits of sin, one of the sort of logical consequences in this realm is a loss of trust and a need to rebuild it. And I, th- I think that, that that's a, a sort of a mark, not, not a good mark, on this generation of parenting is, is that, you know, we, we want to put Teflon around our kids, duct tape them up and send them out into the world so that they never experience any negative consequences, any harsh situations, any difficulty. And, and that, that really, is, really is hurting your children for life. It really is. And Mr. Slaughter has a good example being Mrs. Slaughter, who was a high school teacher for many years. Um, getting to see that at the at the student level. Uh, how else does God correct? Well, he gives additional work. That's what he did to Adam. There was additional consequences through work. Let me show you this one. Turn, turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. This is one of the texts we didn't get to look at last time. Now, we're going to use this in terms of an analogy, okay? What, what I mean is, this is not... Uh, this is written by God to the nation of Israel, not directly to us. Okay, I want to be clear about that. But we also can learn from it. A lot of the Bible is not written to you, but it is written for you. It's not written to you directly, but it's written for your benefit. You can, you can learn something or glean something. So this is God's instructions to the Israelites uh, if they would to keep his law, okay? So chapter 28, verse 1 of Deuteronomy, are you there? Deuteronomy, right? They're, they're um, uh, through the wilderness, and they've received God's law. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, 
which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And then he says this, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Now, now just look at the rest of the chapter, okay? You will be blessed in the city. Blessed shall be your offspring. Blessed shall be your basket. Blessed will you be when you come in and when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies to rise up against you to be defeated. Okay? So there's blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing down through verse 14. God says, if you do what's right, you will enjoy my blessings. Then we get to verse 15. But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then the rest of the chapter is God's negative consequences. You see that? Curse you shall be in the city. Curse shall be your basket. Curse shall be the offspring. Verse 19, curse shall be, you shall be when you come in and when you go out. And, and, and don't, don't think of a curse as like, oh, some like, you know, witchcraft or some crazy thing like that. No, a curse in the Bible is God's temporary judgment, his, his negative consequence in the moment based on the disobedience of his people. So what does that mean? That's how God parents. God parents by blessing for obedience and bringing negative consequences for disobedience. And we can take that as an analogy and we can say, well, that's something we can learn from in our parenting. Uh, so loss of privileges and, and rewards, blessings and, and uh, consequences. Corporal punishment, uh, we've seen that. Um, and the rod of men, which would be consequences imposed by an outside agency. So if, uh, if one of our... Uh, Hood County uh, Sheriff's deputies pulls us over based on our breaking of local law uh, and writes us a citation. Well, that would be a part of the rod of men that God uses, according to Romans chapter 13, in our life. Now, let's let's get very practical here for a minute. Um, this is a little tool that we use in our home to try to apply some of the things we've just learned. And uh, you can see uh, it's just a little simple three-column deal. It's got the offense or the um, whatever our child did that they should not have done. On the left-hand side in the middle is a scripture reference that gives biblical legitimacy to the fact that they should not have done that. And then on the right-hand side is the discipline or the consequence. And um, actually, part of the reason that we, we developed this is Lisa would be home all day with the kids, and, and this, is, this is her mode. I mean, she's just doing this. Well, I come home from the comfort of my office, and um, it's like, okay, what do you need me to do? I'll take over. And uh, I found that as I was jumping in, I'm going... Now, how do we handle this? Well, she's been doing it all day. It's intuitive. I've been thinking about other things all day. So I'm trying to remember. And so rather than have to have a conversation with her every time about what do we, how do we handle this, how do we handle that, we just put it on a chart. And uh, that helped us to make sure that we were handling situations in the same way and helped my failing memory. The other thing that this does is it helps your children to know exactly what the consequences are for disobedience. Um, that's helpful to them as a preventative, right? That they know if I do this, this is what's happening. So when our kids were young, 
we might fill it in like this. That might be three swats for these categories. You know, we have, you know, uh, was it class A misdemeanor, right? Uh, Deputy Looper, uh, class B misdemeanor. And then these are like the, these are the felonies down here in, in parenting. So you see how this works. You know, the number of swats increases depending on the severity of the crime. And of course, when they were little, it might be a simple loss of privilege. Or, you know, you take away their favorite toy. You know, they, they lose a simple privilege. And then as they get older, these, these transform sort of out of the spanking mode into things that are more effective and more appropriate for older children. Uh, it might be extra chars. Uh, we, we love extra chars in our house, don't we? You know, there's always extra chars. And you just look around, you go, you know what, that window needs washing. You know what, those dishes need to be done. You know, that, that carpet needs to be vacuumed. And so extra chores are great. And it goes right in line with what we saw in Deuteronomy 28, right? Extra work, Genesis 3. Uh, might be early bedtime. Uh, teenagers do not like to go to bed early, I've discovered. Uh, extra chores, loss of electronic use, uh, long-term consequences, which could be related to doing things with their friends. It could be um, special privileges that are taken away for a while. So, And again, my, my point is not to micromanage how you do this in your home, but just to give you some ideas for how this works. But the, the, the discipline chart, as we call it, is, has been very helpful to just help us to stay on the same page to make sure that we're doing that. And the other thing is, and I'll be honest, you know, sometimes we as parents get really caught up in the emotion of discipline, which means if we're not careful, we can over-discipline or we can under-discipline, depending on the situation. So, so having something that's objective, something that my wife and I have sat down and prayed about and thought about and come up with this outside of the moment of discipline helps us probably to do a better job when we're in the emotion of discipline and we don't want to either over or under parent in that way. Yeah. How old are we talking about? Are we talking about a five-year-old or a 15-year-old? Yeah. Well, I, I think I think Proverbs has done that. Um, and I know you said beyond the Bible, so certainly we start there. But note, and, and let's just, yeah, we got time. Let's just do, tur- turn back to Proverbs chapter one for a minute and let me, let me show you how the Bible answers Tony's question. I, I think, first of all, uh, that this starts not when they're 15. It starts when they're one. And you're building a biblical worldview. You're, you're setting precedent. You're setting standards, which means, um, which means hopefully when our kids are young, you are imposing certain guidelines about the type of children they can and can't hang out with. So that when they're 15 and they want more independence, it's not like you're having the conversation for the first time. You know, you're, you're saying, oh, okay, this is just what we've been talking about for 15 years. So I think, I think that's part of it is building a foundation. But notice, um, notice the conversation, chapter 1, verse 8, um, or verse 10, excuse me. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they come, if they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow him alive like Sheol. Uh, verse 13, we'll find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw your lot in with us. We shall all have one purse. Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the ways with them. And, and, and here's what he's going to do. So, so it's, it's a clear, don't go do that. So it, there has to be a clear instruction, an expectation that, um, that mom and dad have a say in the matter. It's, it's not a, you know, he said this, she said that. It's that, this is how God has designed the home, and 
children are called to honor and obey, and this is, this is a, a fruit of that. Now, is that going to look different as a teenager that it does at five? It's sure going to look different because at a teenager, you're trying to help, we're trying to help our young people to develop their own discernment about these things rather than just micromanaging their life, and that's going to provoke them to anger anyway. But so th- there's a clear command, but then watch what he does. He doesn't just say you shouldn't do that. He helps them to think about why they shouldn't want to do it. And this is where I think as a teenager, this is, this is very, uh, for parenting a teenager, this is very instructive. Um, verse 16, their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed blood. It's useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. And remember what he said, you know, even a dumb bird knows better than to not do this. You see that bird over there? Yeah. You see that bird trap right there? Yeah. You think he's just going to walk into that? Well, maybe if it's really deceitful and really hidden, he might. But he's not going to go, oh, that's going to end my life. He's not going to do that. And Solomon is saying to his teenager, don't be that foolish. Notice how he mentions the consequences. They, verse 18, they lie and wait for their own blood. They ambush their own life. So, so he's going back and he's doing some of this, isn't he? He's saying, look, if you do this, think about what's going to happen. Think about the logical consequences. Think about what's actually going to happen. Think about, you know, governmentally what will happen. And in the nation of Israel, there were severe consequences for children who uh, got, got involved in rebellion of this sort. So, so I think, Tony, it, it's a conversation hopefully built on a lifetime of parenting a certain biblical worldview where you're appealing to what they know is right and wrong and appealing to the consequences of their sin in that way, all based on a biblical standpoint. Grant and then Lee. Yeah, that's exactly what it does. That's exactly what it does. You know, And that's where, you know, if we go back to the chart here, you'll, you'll notice lying is all the way down here with violence. Because if, if there can't be a basic honesty and a basic trust, you're not going to get anywhere else. So, yeah, if they're not admitting it, you know, it may be a very simple procedure which says, yes, you did, and here's the consequence. And hopefully in the training of the consequence, there will be an openness to admission of what they did. Right. Well, I, I think I think every grandparent has to sit down with their son or daughter and talk about what role they are comfortable grandma and grandpa having. And there's going to be uh, certainly grandma and grandpa have a role. It's just it's up to the parent. The parents really dictate that. Um, but I would think, especially if we're talking Christian families, that uh, I know as a parent that has you know grandparents for our children, we want we need the help and supplement of our uh, Christian grandparents, uh, their Christian grandparents to help. Uh, I think a conversation makes that go smoothly so that grandma and grandpa can help in these ways. And, and your grandparents, right? I mean, you know, this is about um, I'm, uh, no candy tonight. I mean, that's like, that's worse than a spanking if you're at grandma's house, right? I mean, no, no candy, right? There's no candy. That'd be really bad, right? So, okay. So let's talk about a procedure here and we need to land the plane here. This is a procedure for, for, um, for spanking. And um, I want to walk through this, especially if you're a, a, a new parent or a parent of uh, children that are um, in the, the spanking years, um, because um, this is one of those things that as a new Christian, 
I had to learn this because so much of what you hear about spanking, so much of what we experienced from our parents as, as well-intended as it was in some cases is misguided biblically. And actually, there are people in the room here represented who were, um, were probably abused as children. They were not biblically corrected. And, um, and maybe their parents were unbelievers and they were not, they did not have, you know, a biblical framework in terms of what we're trying to do. So I want to go through this just very briefly. Um, this is a biblically derived procedure for a spanking because there is a, well, there's a biblical command, first of all, and there's also wisdom in terms of how this is done and how it is not done. So let's just walk through this. Um, the first thing is to check your own heart. We, we don't want to discipline in anger. Ephesians 6, 4, if you discipline in anger, you're going to provoke your kid to anger and worse. You know, there may be worse things that happen. So mom and dad, we just have, a, have to commitment. We just have to have a commitment between us and the Lord and our spouse to check our own hearts first. And, and even very practical, if, if there is one parent who is initiating the discipline and that parent decides, hey, my heart isn't right, a great thing to do is to go to the spouse and say, hey, my heart isn't right in this. I need you to take over. And, and not, not go through with it if your heart isn't right, especially if you're angry or exasperated at your children. Number two, give a clear instruction beforehand. Remember, discipline is about enforcing things that the child knows and is expected to follow, which means if the child doesn't know the instruction because no clear instruction is given, discipline is not appropriate. We don't hold our children accountable for things that they don't know yet. So a clear instruction. And sometimes, if I'm honest, sometimes I think I'm ready to discipline and I realize my real problem is I wasn't clear. I didn't give a clear instruction. Number three, if a warning is appropriate, give only one. Um, we know that warnings are appropriate because the Proverbs use warnings, don't they? There's a time to give a warning to your child. That's a, that's a, a form of correction that precedes the actual physical correction. But what we don't want to do is get into a mode of giving warning after warning after warning after warning after warning or, you know, counting, you know, come here, one, two. What are you doing there? You're, you're teaching your child that delayed obedience is okay, and we don't want to do that. Uh, we heard a saying in our home, I can't remember who we heard this from, that delayed obedience is disobedience. That's pretty good. Number four, always discipline the child alone. Uh, it's not a, a occasion for shame. It's not, uh, child discipline is not a spectator sport. Ensure the child understands the instruction, acknowledges that he did obey. Make sure he knows what he should have done. So again, just kind of reinforcing clarity. Use scripture to show that discipline is right. Sometimes they say, um, uh, man, sometimes they say things like, um, you know, you don't like me or you don't love me or, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, the Bible actually says, if I love you, I'm going to correct you, just like God loves us and corrects us. Inform the child of the number of swats they will receive. Why is that important? It keeps you accountable. It communicates to the child, this is what's going to happen. It's a good reminder to mom and dad so we don't get excited, we don't get out of control. Uh, use a neutral object to administer the said number of swats. 
And uh, I, I, I borrowed this language from our friend Randy Patton, who's taught here. Use enough force, a number of swats to accomplish training. Right? Uh, anyone have leather bottom children growing up? And then uh, some of us had the, uh, all you have to do is give a stern look to said child, and they say, I repent, I repent, and they're putting on dust and ashes, you know. And the, um, so know your child and adjust, adjust the correction to accomplish training, knowing that often there will be differences there. Uh, fighting disrespect and rebellion is an indication that more discipline is needed. So... That is a reminder that we're trying to train, and if at the end of the correction there is not training accomplished, you go back to the beginning. And I'm not saying you do this indefinitely. Obviously, you know, there's, there are probably times where you say, you know what, um, we're going to give this child some time to think about what's going on, and uh, you don't see instant repentance. That was one thing. As, as a rookie parent, I don't know why I thought that if I just did this, my children would instantly repent. Now, now as a more experienced parent, I laugh at that. Of course, all of you are laughing at that. Um, this is a process. It, it's, it's, like, it's like coaching, right? It, it's like doing a sport. You know, you go out and you work hard, and it's not like you're a super athlete at the end of the evening. But if you do it day after day, week after week, year after year, after time, you start to see effects and results. And so it's important as a parent to remember that. We want to comfort the child afterward. It's important that it's the same parent that did the discipline. And then we want to teach and counsel the child, moving from behavior to the heart. We'll talk about that next time. We want to put the issue in the context of worship. We want to remind the child that uh, he or she is responsible for the Lord. Um, and um, remember, too, that where we're going in all this is not just okay you know, do better next time. The goal is this, this, this next step. We want to help the child to actually confess their sin, repent, and seek forgiveness from God and appropriate people. Isn't that what you want as a parent? You want the correction to lead them to do what the Bible says we ought to do when we sin. This parent discipline is a microcosm of the repentance that as adults we want to have. So, so do your correction, do your discipline as, as parents in a way that trains them to respond rightly as an adult. Now, guess what? Well, after we do all of that, we come back and we say, okay, now go clean your room and do it with a good attitude. You come back to whatever the initial point was. And, of course, use wisdom with when and where you use the rod. You know, if you're, if you're a foster parent, you know you can't do this in a lot of states. Um, if you're at Walmart, and I know, I know, there, there's there's some some country folk who uh, don't think twice about doing this on aisle six uh, at Walmart, and and we just have to think about the wisdom of that. And this is something that in our uh, society where we are less and they're less and less comfortable with proper, appropriate loving child correction and they see any of that as being a form of abuse uh, we just need to be very wise and careful about when and where we do that speaking of that by the way in the state of texas in the state of texas according to the family code it is legal to spank your children 
along the guidelines of what I've just presented to you. It is not illegal. It is not child abuse. Uh, we teach all of our children's ministry workers about this, you know, what is abuse, what is not. And as a parent, according to the state of Texas, you have a right to use corporal punishment appropriately, and that is not considered abuse in the state of Texas. Now, there are some states that would say no, but in the state of Texas, this is allowable if you do it appropriately. Okay, and we can, we can thank the Lord that we live in a state that allows us to obey the Bible in this area. Okay. All right, well, we'll come back uh, next time. We'll talk more about getting to the heart in going back to, to Kit's question and some of the other questions about how do we get to the heart and all this. So let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your love for us as a father. Uh, thank you that you train us and correct us so that we may share in your holiness. And as, as we strive to be open to what you're doing in our lives, I pray that you would help us uh, as parents, as grandparents, um, to be like you. And as we come to know you better, we come to parent better along the lines of what we talked about today. So give us wisdom in these things. We pray for children that would have hearts for you. Lord, for every child that's represented in this room, we pray that they would love you and they would walk with you and they would obey you. Lord, we pray for those children right now that need Christ. Would you work in their hearts, draw them to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name.